Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There we go. So today is February 18, 2017, and we are hosting our teleclass called Talking with Shelter Animals and Rescue Animals. So the goal of this particular class is actually to help you guys feel like you are set to go if indeed you want to move in the direction of working with animals that are up for adoption, whether they be in rescues, foster care situations, sanctuaries, or something along those lines. Uh, I want you to know that there really isn't too much background information that you need in order to do this work successfully but sometimes people who are new to doing certain things um, are just looking for a little guidance so this is going to offer you quite a bit of that questions are certainly welcomed right along the way you don't have to feel like you can have to save them till the end so just jump right in as needed we are let's see we've got an hour and a half together today so i'm going to get started So with this particular class, it would be helpful if you knew a little bit about my background and my associations with animal shelters. So both you gals know a little bit about my history, but for those who will get the recording afterwards, they may not. So I used to be a veterinary technician long before my days of knowing that animals could talk, long before I knew animal communication existed. And during that time, I worked in regular dog and cat veterinary practices and eventually an emergency clinic and then spent about five plus years. Most of that was uh, part-time and some of it was full-time while attending grad school at an SBCA. And the SBCA I worked at as a vet tech was a no-kill environment. Um, that for me, uh, it was just an open availability. I became aware of uh, through a family friend. They happened to know about it. I was grateful that it ended up being a no-kill um, environment. However, if it had been a kill shelter, I think I still would have taken the job because my perspective way back then, prior to knowing that animals could communicate in the way they do, was still such that I was coming from a place of wanting to help, wanting to assist, wanting to get those animals adopted. And the people who are animal communicators like yourselves who are drawn to this call are people with probably the same kind of ideas. So if you're here because you want to help the animals get adopted or you want to help them troubleshoot where they might have some blocks emotionally or mentally that are coming up for them that kind of are making the public not actually attracted to them or not notice them for some reason, this is where we and our work can become so valuable. So there's a lot that we as ACers can do. I actually wish there was a program in place where it was just second nature for all shelters to work with animal communicators regularly with just about every animal that came through the doors. Because if they did, they would have so much information on the background, the history of the animal. Where are the animals at emotionally? Hey, are you ready to be adopted? Do you even understand what that means? And okay, I get you're afraid of this place that you're currently at. And with that said, let us explain our roles. We're here to feed you, shelter you, and support you as you are in that in-between home kind of situation. So... Even though we don't have a program in place across the world, which would be my ideal, there's you and me who can do this work on a smaller scale. And even on the smaller scale, the lives that we touch, the animals that are drawn to us, the shelters that reach out to us asking for our aid, 
oh my gosh, we can just do so much. So in going back to the SVCA as at the no-kill environment, I was asked to be in charge of the cats. So I oversaw all the cats. And at any given time, we had anywhere from 100 to usually about 200, 300 cats. And that was mostly during kitten season, spring, summer, early fall. So we would have cats galore. We would have them in the back rooms and even in the overflow rooms where technically there shouldn't have been any animals. And, you know, that was just so that we could do our best to get as many adopted as possible. What I observed way back then that still applies today to myself and doing this work, to you guys when you do this work, is know that not every cat or dog or other animal that's in a shelter situation is terrified. Because it's not true. <laughs> I've seen some come in and within a matter of 24 hours, the animal is back to their usual happy-go-lucky, everything rolls off my back kind of self. And you just have these animals of various ages. Now, yes, I did find the trend was that it tended to occur more with the kittens and the puppies and the younger animals. But it did occur with some of the older ones, which was a very nice, pleasant surprise. The other thing I observed was with time, given enough time, days, sometimes weeks for some of the cats, and I say cats because I was with them more often. There was a gal, another gal who was in charge of overseeing the dogs and their adoptions and care and all of that type of stuff. But with the cats, it just amazed me with time. A lot of them would adapt to the situation and the environment. We had a cat room that held about 100 cages, and at any given time, those, and this was a room for healthy adults only, healthy adult cats, no kittens. And in this room, you know, the majority of cages were almost always full, 80 plus, give or take. And oftentimes I and other volunteers and staff members would be in there cage cleaning. And as we cage cleaned in the morning before the public came in, we would open the cage doors and just let the cats run. And it was fascinating to see that the majority of them would let us pick them up and put them back in their cage afterwards. They would have positive or or totally ignore the other <laughs> cats that were down on the floor at the same time. So kind of the positive interactions. It was really rather amazing. Now keep in mind, when they're in a shelter atmosphere, or in a foster home, their behavior, of course, can be different, okay? They may be choosing to cope or just simply choosing to adapt out of what they feel is necessity, okay? And with that said, it was a rather small percentage that I observed that would go into depression or become very withdrawn and hissy and growly. It was, it was probably maybe 20% at any given time which is surprising. So I say this to you just right off the bat, because if we as animal communicators go into doing a session with one of these animals from the point of view is, oh, you poor animal, that is going to have an impact on your clarity in receiving communication from that animal, especially if that animal is not in a place of fear or depression or sadness or you know something negative in their experience. So we don't want your point of view to color the communication. You want clarity. So just, I, I, I share what I shared before so you know they're not all in fear mode. Okay? Does anybody have any questions so far? Okay. Then I'm going to keep going. And guys, if you have questions, just, you know, just interrupt, say Danielle, you know, and I'll, I'll halt and we'll address it. Okay. So, Practical reasons for talking with shelter animals. Well, there's a lot of them. And the most obvious one that you're on the call here for, I'm sure, is just to help them get adopted. Okay? And that's really wonderful because there are environments and shelters out there that the animals have been sitting in cages for far too long. 
weeks, months. You know, there was a cat I spoke to who had been in a cage for a year in a no-shelter environment, not the one I worked for, but one many years later. And, you know, in talking with that animal and asking her what it is she wanted in a forever home, you know, it was the universe listened to the cat's response. I listened to the cat's response. I wrote down notes physically and I handed them to the director afterwards. And then that was actually an in-person back when I was doing some in-person communications at a local shelter in Amsterdam, New York, I would relay this to the director. And I remember going in a couple weeks later to work with some more animals that she had selected for me. And she said, you know, that cat that you had spoken with last or a couple weeks ago, she's like, I want to let you know, she ended up um, getting a lot of uh, public attention after you spoke with her. It was very interesting to observe. People would previously walk by her cage and not give her any attention at all. And then you talked with her, and I just kept the note, and this is the director speaking, I just kept the notes to myself. And what I discovered was the cat got so much attention, eventually a couple came back and they ended up adopting the cat. So the cat got adopted after a period of about five or seven days from us having the session after she sat in a cage for a year. Okay, so, and I, I want to explain this, why this happens. Remember, you guys know as communicators that our animal friends tend to live very much in the present. When they are living in the present moment, they're not thinking too much about the future or the past, and that's generally on average. You can have them go to both directions, and sometimes you will experience animals that are still pining over their people that who used to have them, who used to love them, um, and they will be in sadness, and therefore their thoughts will go to the past. But the average animal, not so much. So this cat was just sitting there, just kind of, you know, watching people come and go. She had an understanding about what adoption meant. She understood she was up for adoption. She was open to adoption. But see, nobody had ever asked that cat, okay, you're open to adoption, but what do you want? And the moment we started asking those quick key questions, do you want a family? Do you want a single person? Do you want to be inside? Do you want to be outside? How do you want to interact with your future people in an ideal way? Then the cat was like, oh, okay. And she started answering me. Nobody had ever posed those questions before. And as a result, it was kind of like she was sitting there energetically in that cage static in, you know, status quo. Nothing was changing. The moment we got her thinking about her future, boom, the future started to be drawn her way. So when we think, when our animal friends think, we are creating our reality, guys. And I want to point out that, yes, the main reason why we talk with the shelter animals and those up for rescue and in adoption situation is to get them adopted. But it's also to help them get clear on what it is they want, because they may not know what they want because they never thought about it. Nobody ever posed the question. They maybe never saw, you know, for example, I've spoken with some kittens, okay, that were born in a shelter environment. They know nothing else. And, you know, when it's kitten season, you got tons of kittens and they're all very cute. You know, sometimes you have some that stay there longer than the others. So I talk to these kittens. I'm like, why haven't you been adopted? You're super cute. I see your photo. And, and they're like, we don't know. We're just kind of waiting here. And I ask them, what do you want in a future forever home? And they're like, huh, okay, we got to think about that. And, and one of them had not a clear idea of what, what it is he wanted. And the other one was like, I'm really not sure. Because all that kitten never knew was the, the shelter environment herself. So she didn't have an inkling of what else was possible. So you can then, in that situation, propose, well, you could potentially, you know, have a fondness for living with children or, you know, working with or living with an elderly person or living with a family. And once those questions were posed, the cat was like, oh, I prefer this over that and this over that. You know, she, she got clear. So indeed, just our simple communication with them 
can create clarity and move energy and help them get adopted. I wish that there were open-minded people who just loved animals, who were volunteers, who would be willing to go into these sheltered environments, even if they were not animal communicators and could not hear the animal back, just for the experiment of asking these animals out loud the same questions that are on the document sheet that I sent you guys earlier. You know, that shelter animal questions list that I have for you. If people who couldn't hear them pose those questions, I bet a lot of the animals and then the adoption rate would increase very quickly simply because even if they can't hear back, the animal can hear the person loud and clear and the animal can think about their answer. And who's listening in response then if the person's not? The universe is. And what is it or who is it that manifests, helps the manifest things for the animal? It's the animal and it's the universe's response or reaction to what it is the animal's putting out there. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Questions? No questions? Okay, I'm going to keep going. All right, so other reasons of why we as ACers can do this work. Um, to help them get clear on their preferences, we mentioned, but also to simply inform them of what's happening. There are, on average these days, oh, there's about seven shelters, rescues um, that utilize my services. Most are out here in the western states. There's still a couple in New York from where I originally came from that utilize me. But, you know, about half those animals, 50% of the animals from these various locations, you ask them, do you understand that you're up for adoption? They say, what's that? Or I don't understand it. Or I think I know we're supposed to leave here, but I don't completely know where I would go. So you can inform them of what's happening, why they're there, the whole purpose of the staff, and help the animal basically have a peace of mind about where they're at. Here's how I present a shelter environment. And I'm talking your typical shelter with cages or where the, the animals are in rooms. Um, that's a little bit of a nicer environment, in my opinion, than, than a cage situation, but it is what it is. And so I'll say to them, you know what, animal, you are in a place that is like a place between homes. You are not formally owned or guardianed over by any particular person or family at this point. For whatever reason, you landed in this place that you landed, your people gave you up, or maybe you were found as a stray, and the staff and volunteers, the people here, are intending to help to support you by providing shelter, food, water, and clean cages, and they'll do their best to offer you TLC and love, but they're pretty limited because their whole time is usually spent up in the shelter, food, watering stages, um, or aspect of the shelter environment. But you are in this temporary inn so that you can be seen by the public, be seen by people who are looking for a pet just like you. Are you understanding this now is something you can always pose to them. Do you understand this? Yes. Okay. Or no. If they say no, you fill them in on what they need to know. Um, knowledge is power, guys. It is for us humans. It is for our animal friends. When you help explain things to them, they're often like, oh, okay. And they can relax more because now they know and they're no longer in that confusion state. Confusion is something you will commonly discover when you talk with a lot of these shelter animals, especially if they just are recent arrivals. Okay. Other reasons to do this work. Um, you can might want to find yourself a pet. 
Okay, so back when I was looking for my own dog to adopt, okay, this is when I just moved out to Colorado, finally got my own first space that I owned, a condo, I wanted to adopt a small Chihuahua or Chihuahua mix. I, I was clear on the breed. I had talked with enough clients over the years that I fell in love with Chihuahuas and the loyalty that they often have for their people, and I just, that's what I wanted. But I was also particular. I didn't want something that was barky. I didn't want something that wasn't house trained already. I was very particular. I wanted something that would be very good with people coming into my house when I'm teaching classes in person. So I had these kind of requirements or this list, if you will, and I wrote it down for myself, you know, well, because I wanted to be clear to the universe too and have the universe help me. But what I did was I went to various rescue groups here in Colorado that had chihuahuas or chihuahua mixes up for adoption and they were bringing them to either PetSmart events or they were just holding their own little, you know, local sort of um, adoption event and I would go in person. I would not inform the people that I was an animal communicator on the hunt for a dog. Okay, that, that for a lot of people, that's just too much for them. But what I did do is certain dogs that I was attracted to, I would sit with them or look at them, gaze at them from a distance, and I would start telepathing with them and asking them, hey, what is it you're wanting in a future forever home? Here's what I, as Danielle, have to offer. Okay, that gave me a lot of information, guys. So if you're looking for a future pet down the road and you want to know more about them, this is the way to do it. And I did inform each animal that I spoke with, you know, I'm on my, I'm looking, I'm on the hunt for the right match. And I would like to ask you questions about yourself. And I would just go in with my questions and I would get a feel for if it's the right match or personality or not. I probably talked with about 15 little cute chihuahuas and they were all cute and some were just plain delightful. And yet if it didn't feel like the right match, I, I just didn't bite. Um, so then finally, I, I spoke with a rescue, told them out loud what I was looking for, and a gal said, you know, there's this little dog, Tyler, actually. Um, well, it's my dog Tyler now at the time. His name was Rio. This little chihuahua that we have in foster care, and he's not on our website yet, but I'll put his, his picture up there, um, and you can take a look at him. And if you're interested in, honest, in his picture and in reading his biography that I'll post later, let me know. Give me a call back, and I'll, I'll have you meet him. And I said, that's fine. I found out how long he was in foster care. He'd been in foster care for a year, <laughs> which I find amazing um, because he was a phenomenal little dog and they didn't have him up on the website. But who knows? Maybe he was just waiting for me. Um, so once his photo was up, I did. I communicated with him and I liked what I heard. And I called the lady back and I met him the next day. I had him on a trial period for a couple of weeks, but it was like he, he was just he was a perfect match. So my point is know that you can speak with the shelter animals. We have full reign of speaking with animals that are in shelters, rescues, if they're up for adoption or they're, of course, for sale. Um, that is somebody you can speak to without having to get permission from the rescue or the shelter or whoever at that time owns them if they're for sale. Else, other times where this uh, work will become helpful, you, you know, if you start working with clients, you're going to have clients that reach out to you and say, you know what, here's a picture of a cat or a dog or a horse that I'm thinking about adopting. Can we talk about them in advance? Or here's, I've gotten this a lot too. I just met this dog recently at a shelter and I want to know if he thinks he'll be able to get along with my other dog. Okay, we did not introduce them in person. Or I don't, how do you think he'll respond to a cat? I have a cat. Okay, things along those lines. So you certainly can inquire. There, you know, quick story for you here with this was really helpful. Um, one of my sweet clients called up one day and she's like, Danielle, I've got this bloodhound that's coming out to me. And he's in transit right now. He's coming from out west. I've never met him. I've only heard about him. He's about three years old. And 
well, me and my husband saw his face online and called up the rescue, and he's in transport right now, and he's going to arrive soon. Can we talk to him? He's in the first leg of his journey, and I want to explain to him the rest of the leg of the journey and where the heck he's coming because he probably doesn't know. So we talked to the bloodhound through the photograph, and he told us all about himself. He told us about his worries, his concerns. She set his mind to ease pointing out every leg of the journey that she was aware of that he would be experiencing. And she asked him, is there anything I need to know about you to help you be successful in this home from the get-go? And this was just a, a random little bit of information that proved uh, very accurate and very helpful to her to know. He said, I'm afraid of stairs. And, and she said, going up or going down? He said, both. So, um, you know, this was relayed and she says, okay, no worries. I will teach you with the help of my other dog how to go up and down stairs. So lo and behold, he came and she was, you know, she was, yes, he was not able to do stairs. And she was, yes, able to teach him within about a five day time span of how to do stairs. So you're going to gather information that is sometimes just helpful for people to know up front. I spoke with another dog. This one was owned, but had been recently adopted. Oh, I don't know, maybe a month before. And the woman wanted to know why the dog had separation anxiety. And so I talked with the dog. And now she had told me, you know, in the notes when she booked that the dog was from a rescue. But she didn't tell me what kind of rescue. So in speaking with the dog, the dog was saying... I am afraid because I'm afraid that I'm going to hear a lot of clanging of metal sounds. And he kept showing me bars all around him, like jail bars. And I said, I'm getting the sense in the past in a rescue environment, he was actually left alone a lot. There's a hard cement floor. He was confined behind. He's telling me bars. I said to the owner, I realize it may be a kennel or a, um, a crate sort of atmosphere. And the owner pipes in. She says, nope, it really was bars. He was in one of those um, community rehab uh, centers where the prisoners in the jail system were actually helping the dogs become better canine citizens to get them adopted. So, you know, the point is, guys, you're going to be you're going to have times where animals have emotional baggage as a result of their history or their experience of even being in a rescue environment. So it's just kind of no, good to know how they're doing in a rescue environment, too. And you can always inquire, whether it be for yourself or for a client or just for your own knowledge. Um, and the last practical reason in doing this work is to explain a tough situation to an animal. OK, and I'll give you an example. So I had a client and, and she was actually a client and she was a volunteer for a rescue. And she asked me, she's like, listen, there's this dog that I've been trying to help the kill rescue that I work for get adopted. However, they're finding that he's starting to go crazy. He's doing circles in his cage. He's starting to knit people and they're afraid he's going to move into biting. And they, the, the shelter rescue has decided they're going to euthanize him. And I am very upset about this. They will not let me adopt him. I have no say, but can we talk to that animal and tell him about this, you know, what's going to transpire next week? And so I said, sure. So in that situation, we connected with the dog and we explained what the woman felt was a really tough situation. She apologized to the dog. She explained what was happening. She begged him to change his behavior on a dime. Um, the dog's perspective was, oh, they're going to euthanize me. Oh, well, OK. And he was OK with it. He was shocked and surprised at first, but he had been in there so long, long enough for him that he was kind of losing it. He was losing his um, 
mental focus. He was becoming emotionally triggered by movement and barking of other dogs and people walking by and a lack of exercise. He was a young adult dog. And so it, it just was what it was. And we explained it. And my perspective as an ACer doing that session was, I am going to stay out of judgment of judging the shelter for their choice. I'm going to stay out of judgment or pity for the fact that the dog is going to leave his body soon. Because on some level, I trust the bigger picture of things. I trust that the divine and this spiritual being in that dog's body knows what it is they're doing. So we're going to talk a little bit more about where you're coming from in doing this work and, and some things to keep in mind to keep yourself out of going into pity or sorrow if and when you experience anything that triggers you into sadness. So that's a list of why this work is valuable in talking with shelter animals. Okay, so let's talk about where do you go to find these animals? Well, you can certainly reach out if you want to rescues. You can volunteer. Um, I've got a gal who's taken an animal communication in-person class with me here in Colorado, and she ended up vo volunteering at one of the local shelters, and she just started out doing free, actually, energy work for them, healing work. I think she was doing, um, oh, what is that called? Uh, it's not Reiki. It's um, healing touch. She was doing healing touch for the animals. And after a time, she developed a relationship with the staff and the director, such as that she announced that, you know, I do do animal communication, too. Are you interested in me doing some pro bono free sessions for the animals? And they had come to know this gal, and so they trusted her, her and her work, and they said yes. So that's a, a way to get a foot in through the door. You can certainly go that way. Um, I'll tell you something that I did that might be something you want to try. When I was in New York, it was probably my second year of doing this work professionally. I really, really wanted to work with shelter animals, but I did not have a contact anymore. And the director, the gal who I used to do vet tech work with, um, she didn't believe in animal communication. She she laughed at it. So um, that was not a place where I could offer my services for free. What I ended up doing was I went online and I did a Google search on animal rescues in upstate New York. And I got a whole list of ones that I felt drawn to. And I sent out about 15 emails and letters to, you know, addressed to the directors and people in charge. And guess what? I didn't hear back from a single one which really <laughs> bummed me out. But I realize now in, in hindsight that it's like, okay, people are ready. When I'm ready, when the shelter staff is ready, then it all comes together. Because a year after I had sent out those emails, um, the most closest shelter, which was 10 minutes around the corner from me, out of the blue called me, and it was one of the, the volunteers, and she said, I see that the director pulled your file. I said, I have a file. I've never adopted an animal from there. She says, but you sent us an email once, and the director asked me to give you a call to ask you to come in to do your, what she calls, specialty work. So would you like to volunteer for us? I said, sure. She's like, what is your specialty work? So apparently the director didn't inform her what it was. And I told her at the time it was doing energy work with animals, but it was also doing animal communication. She said, great, come on in. So when I went in, the director introduced herself briefly and said, you know, um, I see how long your your letter was dated from so long ago. And I just want to let you know, I just came on staff a couple months ago and I was going through the files and taking a look. And I believe in animal communication, but the director before me, I assume did not because she didn't contact you. So my point is, guys, um, everything lines up in its most perfect timing, and that might be something you want to do. Reach out. Now, there have been times, too, where I've I've been on Facebook and a certain post 
uh, will, you know, animal for adoption or has been in rescue for a long period of time, something will catch my eye. And if it feels like a huge pull, there have been times I'll reach out to that shelter or rescue or that animal situation, say, hey, I do animal communication work. And, you know, are you interested in me offering you a pro bono session? I feel very drawn to this particular animal or situation. Um, I would say a quarter per, uh, a quarter of the time, 25% of the time, I'll actually hear back. 75% of the time, I don't. But my point is to you, that's another approach you can do if you're looking for somebody to work with. Now, let's say you don't even want to go that route, but you want to start working with some of these animals up for adoption. You can do it immediately. As soon as after this call, if you go to PetFinder.com, which is a website that has dogs, cats, horses, you name it. It's got it. Reptiles, cows <laughs> that are all up for adoption. And you can actually just go through there. And since all those animals are not currently owned, you can have every right to reach out to them, explain who you are, let them know your purpose in contacting them, and then go ahead and ask them the questions. And even if your notes never get beyond you and the animal, the universe is still hearing. Okay? Now, if you wanted to take it a step further, and I did do this once uh, on a whim, it just felt like the right thing to do. I, I once did just this for a particular cat, and I was so enthralled by the cats, uh, by who the cat was, his personality. He was just, he was a Siamese mix, and he was just an amazing individual. And so I ended up making a post on him and what he had said in this communication. I just did a, a little dialogue back and forth of what had transpired in us, just something real brief, posted on Facebook. And three days later, I saw the cat got, cat got adopted. And one of the key things that the cat had impressed me on was he was super brilliant. He was very guru-like in his ability to be very peaceful, and it just he just blew me away. So I had remarked on this in the post. And so I, I put a little comment underneath that post. I was like, oh, I see that he's been adopted. And guess what, guys? A friend of mine replied. She said, yes, this is April Schmidt, and I adopted him. <laughs> So April was a friend or an acquaintance of mine. She had seen the post. She was very captivated by what was written. Just to talk to her husband, who and the two of them own two cats already, no dogs, no children. And they decided to go meet the cat since he was basically at a rescue right around the corner. And lo and behold, she adopted him. So um, know that there are ways, too, if you want to take the work a little bit further and get the animal seen, you can certainly do that. That was in service to the animal. Okay, so that's a way of working with them immediately. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. No, but I have to tell you, your stories are really fascinating. Oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm hoping they're, they're going to be useful <laughs> to you guys in the future, too. So um, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to reach out to... Um, you don't want to talk with an animal on PetFinder.com, get all these wonderful notes on the animal, and then reach out to the rescue and say, hey, I'm an animal communicator. I just spoke with one of your dogs up for adoption, and here's what he said. I would encourage you guys never to force your work onto, um, you know, shelter or rescue that hasn't, you know, you've not already gotten their okay to give it to them because not all people can receive the work that we do. And you don't want to act like you're pushy or pushing on them. It can give you a bad name, can give your work a bad name. If you do want them to have access to the notes 
fine, but reach out to them first. Say, hey, I do this work. Can I talk with you know this particular dog? And if you're interested, I'd like to give you the notes afterward. If they say yes, by all means, send them off the notes. If they say no, don't send them notes. Notes, but you can still communicate with the dog. Okay. All right. I'm going to hit um, you guys all on mute mode because there's a little bit of background noise. If you want to unmute yourself, um, I believe it's star six or six star. I think it's star six. Um, and that'll take you off of the mute and you'll be able to talk forward and I'll hear you. So let me hit mute. Okay. All participants are muted. There you go. Unmute themselves. Okay. There you go. You're all muted. So I can't hear your background noise. So excellent. All right. So. You want to examine why you want to do this work as an animal communicator and where you're coming from. This is important because you need to get clear before doing this work. Are you coming from a place of ego, such as, am I worried or concerned or in pity regarding the animals? Or rather, are you coming from a place of, you're pretty well-centered. I really want to assist the animals. I really want to be of service to them. I really feel drawn to doing this work. I really want to make a difference. Okay, I really want to use my skills in a way that uplifts. I really want to help remove fear from animals. Those things, guys, you're all coming from a very centered place. And you would have to sit down and ask yourselves honestly, you know, sometime after the call, truth, why do I want to speak with animals that are for adoption? You know, and ask yourself that and see what comes up. You're going to be able to tell from which angle you're coming from. So if you're not coming from a centered place, Here's some of the things that may show up on your list. You've got concern or worry that the animal will never get adopted. You might even have concern or worry that they're going to die in a cage or die in a shelter atmosphere. You also may have pity or sorry, sorrow if you're coming from ego. You may even see them as powerless victims in a situation that is out of their hands. Okay, this is all your egoic thoughts. Okay, your own personal opinion that not necessarily has any ounce of truth, okay? In doing this work from a place of ego, your work is not gonna be as clear or as accurate as if you were coming from a centered place. Now let's say you're like, well, you know what? When I write my list, I really am unhappy that they're in shelters. I really am concerned that some of them are gonna die in a shelter atmosphere and never get out. Okay, if that's where you're at, let me offer you some reframes so you can perhaps view it from a different point of view and become more centered. So here's the thing about victims, okay? Guys, our animal friends are not victims. Us humans on the planet are not victims. There are times when us animals and humans, when us humans and animals, I should say, are in situations where it's not pretty, it's ugly, it's tough and rough and just, you know, we can't seem to move forward or get out of a situation. With that said, animals and people alike create their own reality, okay? Now, that's not to say that, you know, we should have pity or sorrow or sadness for the reality. Well, let me put it this way. Um, don't have pity, sorrow, or sadness for somebody who's creating their own reality because on an energetic level, on a spiritual level, they are highly powerful spiritual beings just like you and I. And they are creating their environment through choices. They're creating whatever's happening through choices. Now, I do want to point out, interestingly enough, when it comes to that, people have an awareness 
that they have more choices than our animal friends do. Sometimes our animals don't know they can think about something else in order to attract it or draw their way. And that's where we can come in and, you know, be helpful. Sometimes our animals are so living in the present, they don't think there's any other options. They don't think they can run away or, you know, they can avoid a situation that's negative or draw to them something that's more positive. They just don't know it. But my point is, if you see them as victims, you're going to be uncentered. You're going to come from ego. You're just not going to have the best communication session you can have. And you may not truly be able to help them or be of highest service. So with our animal friends, know that, again, in the bigger scheme of life, in the bigger picture thing, you know, world of things that's beyond the physicality, beyond the physical body, they, for whatever reason, are having an experience that we have to trust is happening for the greatest and highest good of them and for all involved, even if it doesn't look like it. When we beings are without a body and we're between physical incarnations, we are often choosing, well, we are, we're choosing what kind of future incarnation to incarnate into, and our animal friends do this as well, and we often take into consideration the scheme of what we've already experienced in past lives, past incarnations, and what we have yet to experience or want to experience, and it's been said over and over, um, a lot of times in order to experience the light, we have to experience the darkness. Otherwise, we can't recognize the light. We don't know the light. We don't know the good. If we use the words good and bad, which, you know, really the universe has no judgment of anything being good or bad, but there's just light or an absence thereof, darkness. But in order to experience or know or recognize the good, sometimes we have to have a little bit of lack of good or bad happening. It helps us be more grateful and it helps us to find ourselves. Okay. So, um, animals. Dying in cages, uh, I wish it didn't happen either. I wish there was, I wish we on the planet as humans could figure out some other way. I really do. And with that said, I chose to incarnate as Danielle on this planet, as did you guys. And this is how things are working right now. So it is what it is. I'll change it where I can change it. I'll change, you know, hopefully help change uh, with along with the animal's help, one animal at a time. But I'll go where I'm welcomed. I'll do the work to the best of my ability. And I will not remain in attachment to the things that make me sad or the things that make my ego sad. Because it's not... You know, life is just a sliver, a sliver of time in a whole, I mean, huge existence of who we and the animals are. It's a continuum. I was just reading um, Michael J. Rhodes, if you know him as an author, uh, a, journey, a, a Journey to Oneness or a Return to Oneness, something like that was the title of the book. And he just put it beautifully. He's like, you know what? There is no afterlife. I don't know why people use afterlife. He had commented. He's like, all there is is ever life. There's, a, you know, a being as a soul, has a continuum of lives, of lives, of lives. It's a constant continuum, whether they're in a body or outside of the body or between bodies. It's a constant continuum. So this isn't just the animal's only lifetime. They can come back around. So know that. Don't get stuck in the mire of, oh my God, this is it for them, because it's not. So with your points of view, um, let go of those points of view about they shouldn't be there. People are bad, kill shelters are bad, and people need to save, you know, we need to get in there and save their lives. you got to watch that because it all comes from ego. Our animals are having an experience, a life experience just like you. And if we go into 
oh my God, I've got to save that animal. I've got to rescue that animal. I mean, if you feel drawn to, by all means, do it. But if you're feeling that for every animal and you've got that point of view, not understand that your ego is doing a one-up on that animal and you're judging their situation as wrong, terrible, or bad. When, my God, that animal is on a spiritual journey just having an experience. What if somebody judged your experience as wrong or bad or terrible? I mean, that doesn't really make us feel like empowered beings. <laughs> and they're as empowered as we are, even though it doesn't always look like it. So we don't have to save them, guys. We don't have to fix them. We don't have to fix their situation. We can, in the absence of everything, when we feel hopeless, I'll give you, you know, just the tool that you can always send them love. Love is an empowering energy. It is a force. It is not an emotion like a lot of people believe. It is actually an energy. It's the energy of creation. It's the energy of opening new doors and pathways that were not necessarily there. So you can always send love to any situation, even if you don't like it. Surround it and bathe it in love because, my goodness, it can do so much. And that animal can work with that love energy in a way that they couldn't necessarily work before because nobody sent it to them. Okay. Um, I also want to point out there are some people out there that rescue, um, you know, rescue animals and they're doing it because they love the animals, which is great. And sometimes they're also doing it because they don't necessarily consciously realize it, but they're doing it as a way of healing their own hurts healing their own pain. Perhaps they experienced something painful in their past and, you know, they're trying to not ever let it happen again and their way of doing that is by preventing it for others. And animals are easier to help <laughs> sometimes than our own fellow humans or ourselves. So um, just know that try not to come from that place. I'll tell you, when I started fostering dogs for Animal Rescue of the Rockies here in Colorado, we ended up having a total of seven fosters before we we um, got married and then we moved uh, to a different place that only allows a maximum of three dogs. Um, but my point is, I, at one point, on dog number three, I got caught up, and I'll admit it, I got caught up in the, oh my God, the rescue is sending us every week faces, you know, 50 faces of all these animals, uh, dogs that are in kill shelters. And Brandon, I'm my, my husband, and I, we have to pick one to two of these to foster or else they're going to be euthanized. And the rescue would always send us dogs that were on their last leg of their journey, the last days or weeks. And there was a, a time or two that I caught myself. It's like, oh, my God, I am going into I've got to save them all. So, <laughs> so I had to step back and catch that trigger and be like, okay, they're all having a spiritual journey, and who can I assist? And I usually would allow the energy of a certain animal to draw me their way, and I would choose that animal to foster. So, does anybody have any questions? Hit star six to unmute yourself if you do, otherwise I'll keep going. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, know that pity for another being, an animal, is not unconditional love. Um, having pity for their situation. Oh, that poor animal. Oh, that poor thing. If you feel into the energy, say that sometime to yourself on your own time. Feel into that energy. Oh, that poor thing. W you, where you're coming from when you feel that energy underneath your words, you're coming from, oh, their situation is bad. You're judging their situation. Judgment is the opposite of unconditional love. So if you find yourself there, just catch yourself. We all do it. Uh, I do it now and then. I'm going to do it in the future because I'm human. And that's 
how humans tend to run. <laughs> we go through this and it's okay. And I'm going to catch myself. I'm not going to say, no, no, I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to judge myself for it because there's more judgment. Instead, I'll just say, okay. And I put my hand on my heart and I am going to love the part of me, the part of Danielle that is in pity and that feels bad for them. I love the part of me that's hurting. Okay, the part of me that hurts for them and that hurts for myself. Okay. So, parting thought here on this topic, just see them as equals. Just see the animals as equals, despite their situation. All right, so why I, as Danielle, do this work these days that perhaps will resonate with you. I absolutely love listening to animals. I love hearing about their unique journey. Because, you know what, if we're all spiritual beings having a unique journey, then every being I listen to is never going to be a repeat of anybody else, even if they're in a shelter or rescue situation. So... What kind of journey have they had? Where are they emotionally? I have a natural, genuine curiosity for the fellow beings that are on this planet. I want to know. I'm curious. It's a childlike curiosity. Okay? When you come from a childlike curiosity, you ease, more easily stay out of attachment and more easily, guys, stay out of judgment. So see if you can dig up some natural curiosity when approaching these animals. I also feel like, as Danielle, these days I'm giving back to the cats and those shelter cats that I worked with at that no-kill shelter way back in the vet tech days. Oh, my God, they blew my mind. They amazed me at the plethora of personalities and ways of handling the shelter environment that taught me so much. I mean, not sure. I had a pet cat at home, but I only had one. And that's a big difference. It's a big difference when you see hundreds of personalities over a period of five years and how they handle things. It was eye-opening for me. Even though I wasn't an ACR yet, I could see their body language and get a sense of how they were handling things. So just come from a place of natural curiosity and a place of love and doing this work. And even maybe gratitude. Maybe there's some being in your life that has touched you that in doing this work for shelter animals, you're like, you know what? I dedicate, I choose to dedicate a lot of this give back work to that one animal who really changed my life, really opened up my eyes. Have gratitude and give back when it feels appropriate. Okay, so one, what, what one might hear or encounter from a rescue animal, I'm going to give you a list of some very common things you will encounter. Okay, You're going to hear animals say to you, why am I here? Can you get me out? I don't want to be here. I'm confused. What is this place? You're also going to hear them on occasion ask you things such as, are they going to kill me? Am I in danger? And oddly enough, I get this one quite a bit. Am I going to be eaten? Okay. Sounds funny, but it's, you know, they're, they're in that, you know, they're kind of going into prey mode when they're scared. And they see us humans sometimes as, as predators, and they don't always know what's happening behind the, the other door that they can't see beyond. So um, every now and then I get, are they going to eat me? Okay, so clarify this, of course, as it comes up with our animal friends. Um, sometimes you'll hear animals say, I must have done something bad in order to get to this place. Was I wrong or bad? Am I a bad animal? Um and when I, the first couple of times I heard that, it almost broke my heart. <laughs> it's like, oh, how would you think that? And yet, 
I knew I was in a space where I could assist. And so I helped set them right. No, you're not a bad animal. Your person, according to the notes here, chose to give you up because they were moving. That doesn't make you a bad animal. They were in a circumstance where they needed, felt, felt, they felt they needed to rehome you. And so this is what they chose for you. An in-between temporary in. Okay, versus just tossing you out in the street. Versus just giving you to just anybody. Maybe they didn't feel there was just anybody in their life who they trusted or felt would be a good match for you. Okay. Guys, here's what I don't do with the animals. I don't ever blame their people <clears throat> to their face or with my words. I don't ever say, your person was wrong. And I'm sorry they made that choice. Because if you listen to the tone of my voice as I say that, and I'm doing this inflection on purpose, that's judgment right there. Okay, I'm judging their people. I'm blaming their people. And that contracts energy. And who knows, that animal might love their person unconditionally despite ending up in the shelter, despite being given up. And I'm not going to step on the toes of that animal's love for the person. Who am I to do that? Who am I? So, um, yeah, you want to address that as it comes up. No, you're not bad. It was just what they chose based on what people knew and the best choices or options they felt they have had. They made that choice. And guys, as a human being, just as Danielle, my, my two cents is I honestly do believe most of us humans are doing the absolute best we can with what knowledge we know, with what experiences we have had in the past. You know, I, I'd like to really believe that. I do really believe that for most people, we just do the best we can with what we've got for knowledge and what we feel are choices. So watch the judgment. Um, sometimes you're going to hear animals, yes, okay, yeah, am I going to be eaten? Am I going to be killed? Well, here's how I handle that. If I see and know that they're in a kill shelter, I'll let them know this is a kill shelter. And what that means is there are times when some animals do not get adopted or maybe have health conditions or behaviors that for whatever reason the staff makes um, what they believe is the best decision they know how in the moment, which is to release an animal from its body. Okay. Um, so I don't generally use the word kill. I might say kill shelter. Um, usually I'll even rephrase that, but I'll, I'll let them know. It is a place where you may end up, if you don't get adopted, leaving your body. And most of the time, animals don't freak out about that because they have an understanding that life continues. They get it. Okay. So um, watch the blame. Watch the judgment. Stay in love. We're all doing the best job we know how. Be truthful. When you are truthful to an animal, they sense that. They respect you for it. And I personally, as Danielle, believe that truth, light, and love, those three together, are such huge powers or energetic powers that move things. They are forces that can move and create and change. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to change the situation so the animal gets out of the shelter or you know, even prevents their death. But on some level they are assisting the animal. Um, these days, when I go into working with an animal in a shelter environment or just regular clients, you know, part of my prayers before I even start my daily sessions is, may I, the animals I speak with, and the people be bathed in truth, light, and love. May it bathe us inside and out. Okay. Um, you might have to explain again the purpose of the staff and the volunteers and the public. And what I get with a lot of these animals is um, the public isn't, I don't know them, they're all strangers. 
uh, why, you know, the cat will often say, why do I have to, you know, try to be friendly if all they do is come up to my cage and walk away? And I'll explain, well, those people are scoping out or looking for the right pet. And you as a cat, you can just send out energetic vibes to a person that you feel when you feel their energy of them walking by. If you feel like they might be a nice match for you, then my goodness, there's some gesturing that you can do with your paws through the cage to get their attention. You can do meowing. You can rub up against the cage bars. You can do certain movements that really grab the person's attention. You hovering back in that cage and acting scared or nervous or shy may not necessarily catch their eye. So you, cat have a lot of say when it comes to creating your own reality in a physical way. Your actions create ripples in the environment as well, and sometimes even in a bigger way than your desires and your thoughts. So taking action on top of the thoughts you're thinking is going to be huge for you, cat or dog or horse. This applies to all. And this goes into the next topic of tell animals what their job is. You know, if they are, if they tell you, I am open to a home and then they say, you know, uh, or tell you about what kind of home it is, then yeah, educate them and how they can attract that in an action like way. So example was with the cat there. You can also tell the cat or the dog or the horse, if you don't like a human who seems to be very interested in you, here are some suggested ways of letting them know your disinterest. Um, most clear one for the average human that they get right away is if you turn around and sit, you know, given the backside or the butt to the person. And if they come to reach for you, just continue to turn away and you just give them your butt. You, you just make it very obvious that you don't want to be touched, don't want to be pet. You don't even want to look at them. You don't have that interest. Okay. People get that. <laughs> okay. Um, dog, if you are in your kennel and somebody walks by and you're interested in, in them, or you think you are, wag your tail, maybe do a little whine, you know, in order to catch their attention if you were originally quiet. Uh, if you're barking, go into silence. That'll catch their eye. They'll be like, whoa, that dog just stopped barking. And they'll probably spend some eye time on you. Okay. You can do little gestures like sit or shake paw or, and you know, for some of our animal friends that are nervous in a shelter environment, shaking paw or sitting, you know, is going to be very awkward or, you know, almost unreachable for them to do. But you can certainly tell the dog that's jumping up and down and acting like a nut in its kennel as people walk by, you know, that behavior is a big turnoff for a lot of people. They see you as a nut or crazy or too high energy for them. And some people don't just equate that to, oh, that's just a shelter environment uh, behavior and probably will not carry over into the home environment. But they're not thinking about that. They're too are in the present moment looking for a dog, at, you know, in their mindset. So you instead may wish to put all four paws on the ground. And instead of barking at people as they go by, demanding them to look at you, which also is a turnoff for many people, dog, you may wish to consider bringing the volume down. If you can't remain silent, which would be probably most ideal in attracting people, if you can just go to a low whine or a couple, you know, small yips and then silence where it's not constant barking, you know, that's going to affect how people behave, how the public behaves towards you, dog. You know, and horse, you know, if, if you're interested in somebody standing beside them, maybe, you know, kind of breathing into them, onto them, but not invading their personal space other than that, will just show them you have ease and comfort in their presence. 
You know, uh, these are just things you can do. And obviously animals, we always want to tell our animal friends, um, we don't want to bite. We don't want to scratch. We don't want to hurt or harm anybody. You know, if you don't like them, just use your body language in a subtle way. Okay. So those are ways you can help educate the animal. Now, I'll tell you a story. Uh, this is a, a real story. So I was, it was after I was teaching actually. So it was a, a couple years into doing animal communication work professionally. And one of my volunteer friends, she was a volunteer for the old animal shelter, the no-kill SBCA that I used to work for. She approached me and she said, Danielle, I know you're not working here anymore, but listen, we've got in this kitten, the little orange kitten. It's probably about five months old or so and we've actually got somebody who wants to adopt him but he's very very sick he's been very sick can you tune into him and, and ask what can we do to help him get better so that was her angle of the session so I went in asking him if you know how can we get you better and I heard him say I don't want to get better and he further explained I don't want to get better because I want to leave this body I don't want to go home with anybody I don't want to be adopted and I explained to him well there's somebody who's really you know already kind of fallen in love with you and you've gotten sick now so the shelter's caring for you in the hopes you can get better and then you can go to that new home and he's like no no I don't, I don't want that and he explained instead I want to pass away I'd rather they just euthanize me quite honestly so that I can become a white cat in another body I want to be female this time and I want to be raised in and he showed me a house environment so this cat was already making plans for his next incarnation and had already basically written off this one and I said to him, are you certain you want this? You know, because you could make that person happy and then go into that life. He said, no, no, I don't want this life as orange cat. So I relayed what I got to the volunteer. And since the person in charge, the director, does not believe in animal communication, all she said was, you know, um, director, my sense is that this cat just doesn't want to stay in its body. It's very, very deathly ill. Maybe we should just release it. Okay, which is what the cat was asking for in our session. The director said, no, 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 we're, we're going to see if it can get better. Well, the cat ended up dying, you know, a matter of days on its own. So the cat ended up getting exactly what it wanted anyway. But the, the point was, you are going to on occasion encounter some animals that don't want to be adopted, don't care what happens to them, or in this case, already have plans for something else, something that they see as better, and it's not of interest to them to, well, have you help them get clear on what it is they want in forever home because they don't want it in the first place. And, you know, with such animals, you just honor and accept that. It's a very small percentage of animals like that that I've encountered, but there have been a few, and so I mention it. So just respect them for where they're at. All right. Any questions? Hit star six to unmute yourself. Okay, then I'll keep going. So how do you support an animal from a distance? Say you've done the communication with them and maybe you encountered a, a really sad, depressed animal and you want to assist them further. Maybe you were working with them on Pet Finder so you don't have anybody on the other end to kind of encourage them with out loud physical words. What you can always do as an AC or is pop in every now and then and say, hey, just passing through, wanted to see how you're doing, just wanted to send you my love, wanted to just, you know, May, let you know that there is somebody here who cares and please you know just kind of hang on move through the depression if I can help you with the depression by all means let me know maybe I can do some EFT work emotional freedom technique or tapping if you feel like that would be helpful helpful to you to clear out 
your sadness or depression so that you can move forward. You know, but you guys can check in with them. Let them know you love them. You can send energy work to them. Reiki, healing touch, whatever form of energy work you do, if you feel they're willing to receive it, you can ask them if they're willing to receive it. And if they are, by all means, send it. You can even send them just playing the energy of love. You know, I do emergence care. I do um, uh, Reiki. I, I, you know, I can tap into a lot of different energies these days. For me, what resonates most is just the energy of love because that is like the purest form, in my opinion, at least for me and where I'm at these days, compared to those other two. So I send the energy of love knowing it is super powerful and allowing the animal to utilize it in a way that they see fit. Okay. So um, saying hi, hello, letting them know you're supporting them, that you're listening to them, it's kind of the equivalent of holding their hand, can really help these animals get through a a tough emotional time. Okay. And does this tough emotional time happen? Yeah, it does. So um, let me see. I've got so many stories. Let me give you a more recent one. Okay. So um, Tabitha is a cat that I've, I've spoken with three times through a, a private animal rescue in upstate New York. I just spoke with her again yesterday, actually, checking in on her. She's doing far better. Our first conversation with this kitty, who's eight years old, um, was, why aren't you eating, you know, was the main question. And she said, because I'm very sad, because my person is no more. And I asked the, the rescue person, I said, well, do you know anything what this means? And she said, yeah, the owner died. And just before he died, when he was in hospice care, he made arrangements for his all his cats, including this one, to actually go into rescue environments. So I volunteered, and so I have the cat. The other cat in the home got adopted already. So basically, we just talked with this cat about her emotional feelings. And I talked with her about, you know, I'm sure there was a very big reason why you were in your person's life. And now that he has passed, there you're still here in body. So I suspect, Kat, that there is a big reason why you are still in body. And maybe there's some other being's life, human being's life, that you're here to touch. So are you willing to, when you're ready, let go of your grief so you can move into Chapter 2? Okay. And the cat said, yes, I just need time. That was her first session. And each time we talked with her subsequently, second and third time, she got more chipper. And now she's basically fully come around and let go of the, 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 the sadness. So kind of meet them where they're at. Talk with them often in different ideas or points of views or perspectives, just like you would do another person who was hurting. And uh, when it feels right to do so. Don't just listen to their grief and leave them in it. Try to help support them through it. Okay. So, I'm just checking my notes here. Okay, so the types of questions to ask. If you guys um, happen to have that shelter animal questions list document that I sent to you, I've got a list of 13 questions here, which you can pull from, change, manipulate, you know, do whatever you want with, um, but pull, pull from these. If you're wanting to work with shelter animals, make them your own. You know, um, when I say make them your own, if, if you want to modify them, by all means, help them to feel most natural for you. But these are 13 basic questions that are great you can use. I've got dogs, cats, and horses down below in different paragraphs. These are some additional questions based on species that you may find helpful in asking the animal. Um biographies. So if you're on petfinder.com or you're on a rescue site and they've asked you to talk to an animal and you go in and read a biography of your own accord firsthand, I'm going to encourage you all to take that with a grain of salt. 
because here's the thing. You don't know anything about the person who wrote that. It might have been somebody who knows the animal very well or a middleman. Okay, so when I used to do the fostering for the dogs for the Animal Rescue of the Rockies, we had a middleman who would actually write write up the biographies. We as the fosterers submitted information, you know, facts about the dog that we were observing, gets along well with other dogs or doesn't and whatnot. And the person would take this up and write a beautiful grand, I mean, these were really talented middleman writers, <laughs> but these were other volunteers who would take that and write beautiful little write-ups. And most of the time, I'd go back and read the write-ups, and I'm like, wow, they did a really great job. And every now and then, I'd see, oh, they exaggerated that point too much, or, oh, that really isn't accurate, or that isn't really what I meant. So take it with a grain of salt. You, you know, the people who are writing those, they have excellent intentions, I'm sure, good hearts, and yet things can get misconstrued. So wherein it says, you know, uh, gets along great with all dogs, mm, may or may not be true. So you can always go straight to the horse's mouth and ask the dog, how do you feel about other dogs? Um, case in point, earlier today I had a session with a, a dog who is 90 pounds, actually. Um, she's a husky mix. And one of the things, she's not a shelter dog, but she's an old dog. But one of the things that she had said when the owner asked, you know, you've got separation anxiety. Do you feel another dog friend added to the family would help you? Because right now you're the only dog. She said, yes. She said, but here's the thing. I want a dog that's like 30 to 50 pounds. I don't want one my size. And I don't want something that's hyper. And she went into really getting clear on what kind of companion she wanted for herself, personality type and everything. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and my point is, even though this particular dog, kneelers were surprised because they're like, well, our particular dog gets along with all dogs at the dog park, all dogs, all sizes. I'm surprised she's asking for this. And I, I said, well, she's telling me there's a big difference between playing with a dog of any size and choosing to live with one of any size. So, um, yeah, just kind of take what's written with a grain of salt. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. I am going to skip on over to that photograph. Now, I did send you all, probably about an hour or so before the call, a photograph of a St. Bernard, and he is two years old. He is up for adoption here with uh, in Aurora, Colorado, through the Big Dogs Huge Paws Incorporated uh, Private Rescue. Now, I just pulled him from PetFinder.com, same thing as I'm, you know, encouraging you guys to do. Since I did not already reach out to this rescue and say, hey, I'm an AC here, do you want the notes afterwards? I will talk with this dog, but I'm not going to forward those notes, because that would be just plain, plain rude. <laughs> um, I don't want to force my work on anybody. So this dog does have a biography, and I'm not going to read it to you. If you want to find him on PetFinder.com, you certainly can. He's searchable. Um, his name is Mozart, M-O-Z-A-R-T. Um, he's two years old, he's tricolored, and it basically says here that he's in a foster home, and he was picked up from a fellow rescuer from an, a popular online yard sale page. He was given away free, and the, the people who saw that free ad, who were part of this rescue, decided that was a little bit um, uncomfortable for them because they didn't know where he was going to land. They were concerned about his safety, certainly, so they pulled him into their rescue, and now he's up for adoption. So it talks a little bit about his personality and all that and what they've observed, but I'm, I'm really not even going to take that in consideration. I'm going to go straight to the dog. So what I'll do is I'm going to go through these 13 questions, and I want you to just kind of listen back and forth with what it is he says now. I will stop along the way in the middle of these questions if I hear something from Mozart 
that feels like it needs to be addressed, if it feels like there is a block, perhaps, to get him being adopted. Um, and we need to talk about blocks, too. So let me do that right now before I dive in. Some of the blocks to getting adopted that you may hear animals say when you ask them anything stopping you from getting adopted is, I'm really sad about my prior person. Okay, And when you ask, why is that? Because they left me here. Okay, that right there I call a block because the animal is so caught up in their emotion, emotional state of sadness because they're, they've got mental thoughts, their mental body's involved too, they've got mental thoughts around it that they just need somebody to perhaps listen, lend an ear, to help it, them get it off their chest. That's a way you can help them unlock that block at times. Other ways is by listening and then offering your two cents on another way they could look at it. Or just supporting them and saying, you know what, you have every right to feel sad or angry or upset or confused or scared. You know, whatever it is, acknowledge where they're at now and then add. And with that said, underneath all that, there's the real you. And the real you is not scared, confused, or sad. And you may wish to tap into that when you feel ready to do so. Okay. So let's go through and I'll work with Mozart. All right. So I'm going to drop down, connect with him. So Mozart, please. He says, oh, you're the girl who talked with me before. Okay. So, guys, what I did before earlier today, I got on Pathfinder, and I just scanned photos, picked him, and I tuned into him, and I said, hey, Mozart, here's what I'm doing with my students in class. May I use you as a role model and find out more about what it is you want in a forever home? He thought that sounded like fun. So I told him, okay, great. I'll come back and pose the questions um, in about an hour and a half. So these are new and novel questions to him. So first question, so Mozart, truth, do you understand why you were at this foster home? He says he does. So I'm going to ask the follow-up question. Explain to me what you understand. Because, guys, as a human, I really want to know what he knows. He may be accurate. He may be a little off. I want to know. So what do you understand? He says, I'm here to eat food until somebody comes get me. And who is that somebody? He says, well, they keep all talking about it. I'm going to get a future forever home. And he's showing me people, the fosters, are being very excited, like, oh, we're going to find you a great home. So they're very optimistic about that is what he shows me. Okay. So you understand that when you leave this current foster or temporary home, that you will then ideally move into a forever home or a home where you will have your own family and food and shelter and all that, and you will no longer come back to this foster environment. Do you understand that? He says he does, although he'll miss the person who's caring for him now because she's lots of fun. So number two, Mozart. How are you doing in this foster environment? And guys, here, I'm asking how he's doing emotionally, mostly. So emotionally, how are you doing? He says he's doing fine when I ask any sadness. He says no. He admits he was confused when he first came here, when I ask in what way. He just says, well, I didn't know what was expected of me. I didn't know if I was coming or going. Okay, are you clear on that now? I'm staying for a while. Yes. Okay, so guys, that tells me he does clearly understand that this is temporary, that's good. Um, emotionally, is there anything else that's up for you? What are your average, let me switch that question, what are your average emotions these days in this setting? He says, I like to play, I like to have fun. So there's a lot of happy energy I'm emitting. And then she goes away, and he shows me the door closing, and I see him in a kennel or a cage, and then I get a little bit lonely. Where has she gone? Out for a long time. Do you think she's gone to work? 
I don't know where she's gone. Maybe. Okay. And when she returns, he shows me being very happy again. Okay. So, um, I as Danielle feel like he's, he's pretty, in a pretty good place. If I was to emotionally, guys, sense him angry or upset, I would stop right there and I would address it with him. So basically, I don't go on to the next question until I address where the animal is in the one I just asked. So third question, are you open to being adopted? He says, oh yes, oh yes. Is there anything stopping you from that? He says, stopping me, what do you mean? Uh, do you feel like there's anything up for you emotionally or uh, behavior physically that you do or a habit that you do that perhaps you think people might not have an interest in? Interest in. He says, no, I'm a pretty swell guy. Everybody likes me. At least that's what everybody tells me. Everybody loves to have their hands in my coat and pet my fur. Um, he tells me he's a pretty dominant guy when asked, what does that mean? I'm a pretty big guy. Okay, so here his word, his definition of dominant means big. Okay, is that stopping people? He says, nah. He says that his current foster is saying that people actually love big dogs just like him. Okay, great. So four, what do you seek in your ideal home? He's showing me a very big, spacious backyard and barking at the inside of that backyard's fence. What is this barking about, please? I want a space to call my own, a place to protect. Uh, he shows me it being totally enclosed. What does this represent? He says, just a space to call my own. Same thing. Okay, what else do you seek in your ideal home? Uh, he shows me the ability to go in and out. He shows me a door being opened, actually, between a house and the outside backyard. Is this a doggy door, Mozart? He says, I don't know. It can be. He doesn't care what it is, but he wants to always be able to go in and outside whenever he wants at his own free will. He tells me that that way I can get out of the rain. He doesn't want to be left out in the rain. Okay. So anything else in your ideal home? He says, that's all I can give you for setting. I want to chew on bones. I hope they have lots of bones. Okay. So guys, for question five and on, this is where I, as the ACer, am getting a little bit more specific with him in his ideal home. So you see, if we stopped at question four, the animal's going to give you whatever they feel is their ideal, but they're going to give you what's on the top of their head. Five, question five and beyond allows us to dig deeper. Okay, so moving on to question five. So would you prefer Mozart to live with one person, a couple, or a family with children? So what do you think? A family for sure is what he says, and why is that? Because then I can have multiples love me. Okay, so adult male, he says yes. Adult female, he says absolutely. He says if there's multiple adult women, I love women, and women like me. And what about children? He's showing me, um, looking at me quizzically, he says, well, there's all different kinds, aren't there? So <laughs> he's right. So I'm going to break down the ages of the children. So here's a baby. Here's how babies move and wiggle and jiggle, and here's what they can do with their hands and move their feet. He shows me shrugging. He says, I don't care if there's one in the house, but I can't run and play with it, can I? I'm going to say no. Do you want to live with one? He says he wouldn't mind. How about uh, a child that's around the age of 10, 9 or 10? Here's a 10-year-old boy, 10-year-old girl. He says, oh, I can play with them. Yes. He shows me an image, guys, of um, actually chasing them and knocking them down. Okay, so this is where I would stop and say, so Mozart, if you're ever with children, especially, well, especially children who are not, you know, everybody who's not an adult, 
If you want to play chase with them, that's fine, but you need to keep your body respectfully off of theirs because you are a big dog. You could accidentally knock down a child. You don't want to ever put your body on them. That could hurt them, injure them, and make them actually be afraid of you. He says, oh, okay, I don't want to harm anybody. Okay, so what are you after in your preferences that you've chosen? He says, I just want multiple people so that everybody, he's showing me lots of hands petting them at the same time, will love me. He says, I feel if I have multiple people, I am more likely to acquire lots of love than if I have just one person. I might get lonely with just one person, especially if they leave the house like my foster leaves. Okay, so six, Mozart, would you prefer to share your home with another friendly dog, cat, or horse? So I'm going to break it up. Would you want to share it with another friendly dog? Um, he shrugs. He doesn't mind either way. He thinks that because he is so big and strong that he'll always have first dibs on the people. Like he can always get to them quicker, quicker, push another dog out of the way. So you really want to always, Mozart, be gentle and kind with fellow dogs. He says, I am. I am. Would you prefer to share your home with a friendly cat? He says he chases cats. So, guys, if you were working with, um, you know, a shelter director or somebody who wanted to know what this animal wanted, you would want to say, of course, what it is you hear. Another way of doing this. Now, he told us outright he chases cats and he does it for fun. I don't see him wanting to kill a cat. I don't feel kill energy. It feels more like play and scaring the bejeepers out of the cat would just be plain fun for him. So I would relay to the, the, the fosterer to the shelter, you know, here's what he says. And with that said, if he was my dog, uh, my foster dog, I personally wouldn't put him in a home with cats because it's not fair to the cat. Um, I realize some dogs can be trained out of this, but um, maybe there's a home that's catless. <laughs> that would be more easily readily available um, just to set everybody up for success right away. Guys, if you had a dog say to you, um, not sure, don't know what a cat is, never lived with a cat, don't know much about him. What you can always do, and, and I like to do, is present the dog with a picture of a cat sitting in the middle of a room inside a home. And then I'll show the, the cat walking around and hissing and spitting. And I'll watch the dog, his behavior, because as you show him the image of the cat doing these sorts of things, the dog is going to respond or you know, maybe even get triggered by what it is you're showing him, and you'll get to see more of his true colors this way. Okay, so that's a way of gathering energy, or excuse me, gathering information. Okay, next question. How much exercise do you need on a regular basis to keep you happy? He tells me a lot. Um, he wants to play inside, he wants to play outside, he wants lots of walks. You want to do agility? I show him what that looks like because he tells me automatically, I don't know what that is. He says, no. He says, I'm not agile. I just want to eat a lot and play a lot. Okay. So no, guys, you can always present to them different scenarios. Do you want to be a pet therapy dog? Do you want to visit people, you know, in a nursing home? Those sorts of things. Eight, what kind of interaction do you seek with your future person or people? He wants to rough house. He wants to get on the floor with a man. He shows me a human adult and they're wrestling. Um, this dog wants to do, okay, full body rushes at the human's body, full body impact. This is a very physical wrestling kind of way of playing. So remember, you always got to be gentle with people. He says, oh, I know how to play. I don't mean any harm. And I back off, he says, when they tell me to back off. I know how to sit too. I'm a smart boy. Okay. 
Any other kind of exercise? Do you need hiking? He says no. Do you feel you need doggy daycare as a healthy outlet to get your energy out and to socialize with other dogs? He doesn't know what that is, so I show him what that is. He says, no, I don't think so. I don't need that. I'd rather have a very big yard, and I'd rather be off leash a lot of the time in order to run free. I don't want to be tethered, and I don't want a doghouse. Okay. Why don't you want a doghouse? I don't want to be an outside dog. Okay. So, nine, how much social time do you seek with your future person or people? He says, lots. What does a lot look like in a 24-hour period? He says, well, all 24 hours would be ideal, but I'll take naps in between. The person can leave when I take naps. Um, what is the minimum amount of time you feel that you need with your person? He feels he needs at least three quarters of the day devoted to him and his person. So if a person worked eight hours and they were eight hours away from home and you saw them before they went to work and after they went to work, with the, how, how would you feel about that? He says, I might get bored. Then I might want another dog to play with or a bone to chew. He says, but ultimately I'd be okay. I hope they don't do that on a regular basis. Okay, and I'll just let them know a lot of people do have that kind of lifestyle. But who knows? You could end up with somebody, you know, like me, who's home, <laughs> working from home. So you never know. Okay, so what would that look like? Okay, he explained that. So number 10, how much touch would you seek from your future people? Um, he says, I want the rough kind of touch for play. Okay. And when they're wanting to be gentle with you, he says he would like it on top of his head. Where else do you want touch? No belly, please. I'm not much of a belly boy. And I don't like my front paws touched much either. I definitely don't like my nails touched. Okay. 11. What will it take for you to bond with your future people? All they have to do is feed me and give me love. I'm not complicated. Guys, I'm going to stop at number 11 for a minute and share with you that this question, there are a lot of animals out there, especially shy ones or ones that are timid by nature, that will tell you, I need time to bond with my person. I can't just do it at the drop of a hat. Okay, this particular St. Bernard guy, he's doing it at a drop of a hat. You give him food, you give him love, he's golden, he's good to go. <laughs> um, but other animals, they need time. And if you ever sense that they need time and it's going to you know, take them... A while, perhaps, maybe you sense to bond with somebody. Tell that to the person or to the shelter. And ideally, that information will be shared with people because here's the thing. If they choose to let that maybe indoor-outdoor cat out too soon and that cat has been with them a month but hasn't truly bonded, honestly, that cat has very little reason other than food to go home. And I've talked to a lot of cats that have become strays over the years and, you know, who chose or got lost. Maybe they chose to leave their home or they got lost. And they'll tell you, I don't want to bond with anybody else but my past person. And so you explain to them, well, your past person can't be located. How long will it take you to bond if you are open at least to a small degree? And they'll tell you sometimes four weeks. And you need to let that person know, please don't let them outside before then or keep them on a leash if they're a dog because they need the reason to come back. Once the animals bonded to you, I mean, they still can get lost, certainly, but at least there's a, usually a drive in them to come back to you. Twelve, what jobs might you wish to take on in your future home, Mozart? He says the job of play, the job of greeting people at the door, barking when I see people outside a window. Uh, he says no, not being a protector, but more like um, an alert dog. 
uh, just, you know, being the, he calls it the first line of duty, being in the first line of duty, the one who alerts, and then somebody else would protect. Because he says, I'm really not a protector. I love everybody. I'm good-natured. So 13, anything else, Mozart, you wish to tell me? He says, what else can I tell you? Anything you want us to know about you, because as you say it, the universe hears you, and the universe sets things into motion on behalf, and through the law of attraction, will likely bring much of this, if not all of it, your way. He says, how soon? I don't know. I'm not privy to that. However, probably sooner versus if we didn't do this conversation at all, hadn't had this conversation at all. He says, okay. He's thinking about it. He shows, he shows me sitting and shaking. I know how to shake. Okay, I think you told me that before. Thank you. What else? He says, I'm a really good boy. Um, he considers himself average in the smarts category. And he says he just wants to have a good time in life. He's here to have a good time, to enjoy life, to have fun. Well, and he says, and, and be part of the parade. What is that about? It's about being part of a household. The parade is the parade of people or him in a lineup with other people. What is this about? So we can all have a good time. He wants to have a good time with everybody in the parade or basically he means in his family. All right. So since he is a dog, I'm going to go down to the dog section below. Is being a house dog with a backyard enough or will you really need walks? He says he's going to really need walks in order to be emotionally happy. If all he does is get in the backyard, he shows me starting some behaviors that are hmm, a little neurotic, barking at the fence line, every little sound on the other side, he gives me as an example. Um, walks for him are going to be mentally stimulating. Um, what kind of toys do you prefer? He says, anything I can put in my mouth. Okay, do you understand that there are certain toys that are meant for dogs and that are human-owned objects? He says he does and he respects this. Would you like to chew on anything like bones, deer, antler, etc.? He says all of the above. Do you want to be a therapy pet? He doesn't know what that is, so I show him via images in my mind's eye. I don't think so. He thinks that would be boring. There's too much quietness, too much stillness. This dog wants to move his body. He's a, uh, he's like Jello. He's a, a bundle of happy joy, and he wants to move, move, move. And to do something where he's got to be calm and quiet while sit, people sit in a wheelchair and pet him, he's like, that'll get boring fast. Okay, do agility or sport with your person. We already did agility. Do you want to do a sport with your person? He says, what kind of sport? Frisbee? He laughs. He says, nah, I'd rather pee in a bush. <laughs> okay. Um, any other kind of sport? He says, I don't think so. You just want to be a house pet, a house companion? He says, yes, and play with people. Okay. You guys will start to notice as you communicate with a shelter animal that they're going to have certain things that come up and up and again and again and again. And anytime I notice uh, rep repetitive statements or bits of information, it's because that's really important to that animal. Okay. So play and fun is happens to be really important to this particular dog. Okay. Does anybody have any questions on this? I'm going to unmute you all so you don't have to hit unsick, uh, star six. All right, you're all unmuted. Anybody have a question? Are you all still there? Oh, I can't hear you. All participants are unmuted. Oh, sorry about that. Now you're really unmuted. Any questions? Any comments? Uh, no, that was very, inform very informed. Okay. <laughs> <Did> everything. <laughs> okay, excellent. Good. 
All right, well, let me let me take a look here at my notes. I want to make sure I cover everything with you guys. We are almost at time, and I think we've gotten through just about everything. Um, okay, in doing this work, know that you can do this work, obviously, in person with open-minded shelters and rescues. Um, you can also do it by phone, okay? And if you put on your websites, those of you that have websites at this point, that you are offering pro bono or I have it worded on my website, I offer low-cost um, you know, low cost sessions for nonprofit rescues. And guys, I do emphasize nonprofit. I don't want people who, um, have an animal that they rescued or that they're taking in a stray and, and that, that doesn't count for me. It's gotta be a nonprofit organization of some sort. You know, you can certainly work with them. You can advertise that you do work with them at low cost or pro bono sessions, you know, um, certainly on your website or through Facebook messages or you can even reach out to certain rescues say hey i am offering you know three pro bono or low cost sessions in the month of february would you be interested in speaking with one of your animals with myself if you want to do it by phone or you can let them know that you want to do it by email so there's pros and cons to each of these basically it falls into the category of what's comfortable for you as the ACer? how do you want to do it what's going to be fun for you i've done it in person I frankly loved it. I did like doing in person because in the beginning of doing in person, the director went around with me and listened to everything the animal had to say and offered follow-up questions. And then as I would come in week after week, she got busy and she asked me to just write them down as notes. So I started doing the notes. That became a little less fun for me because I really enjoy the interaction of having a human there, you know, hearing it firsthand. Um, because hearing it firsthand and, and reading notes, I'm sure, well, of course, would be a very different experience. Um, but, you know, that's certainly something you can do. These days, how much do I charge for nonprofit groups? I charge $20 for a half an hour session. Um, and I used to not charge, and I did them all free. And then I found, when I tuned into myself, that it was no longer fun for me to do it that way. I was getting a little overloaded, a little bombarded. Nobody honestly took advantage of it um, to the point where I felt like I was being taken advantage. When they they came to me, they actually really wanted to know, what does this animal want in a future forever home? Or they would bring me, and here's the other thing, guys. Probably about 50% of the time, you'll get plain interest in what do they want in a future forever home. The other 50% of the time, they're going to bring to you behavior issues and problems that they're having with the foster dog or the dog in the shelter. So that's that's the other reason why they come, which is fine. You just work it like a regular animal communication session. But I do, I do um, charge $20 because I really want them to, like, value the session. And I got to the point where personally it was like, you know what? I'm feeling a little resentful because I'm giving away my time for free and I've got other things in life I need to address too. So if I charge, you know, a little bit, I'll feel like they really feel it's important. They're going to be on time. They're going to get on the phone with me. We're going to spend our time, you know, really doing something important where it's not just them getting on the phone and having a curiosity or an interest in doing this work. I want it to be more valuable to them than that. Now, the times when I will do it for free is when I see, again, something on Facebook and I reach out to them. If I reach out to them, I will say, you know, I'm just offering this as a free pro bono session. If you are interested, we can talk with this particular animal. And if you're not, that's cool, too. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to ask them for, you know, money if, indeed, I'm the one who's taking the first step forward because I feel drawn to working with that animal. So it's just something to keep in mind. 
Now, what if you're doing an in-person session and you find it very distractive as a communicator with all the meowing and the dogs barking in the kennel if you're working with a dog? How do you handle that? Well, you can perhaps ask the people, can I take this dog for a walk? You know, get yourself into a quieter environment or take a photograph of that dog and then go outside with your pen and paper and do the session out there through the photo of the dog. You know, set yourselves up for success in, in the best environment that you best work in. Okay. Um, do understand that if you take a dog for a walk, they may be distracted by everything that's around them <laughs> and want to really walk. And they may not want to just sit with you with your back up against a tree as you communicate with them. Um, having them in a kennel, you might be able to put them in an outdoor kennel and you sit with them and you do the work that way. So those are just ways you can handle it. Um, so there was uh, many times, multiple times this past year, I went into the Cat Care Society, which is a wonderful, and you might want to reach out to them, um, open-minded animal rescue that's here in Colorado. Just Google for them. And well, um, they allowed me to come in with some of my in-person students, and we did some work uh, for the animals there. And what I found the first time we went in is that they had music for the staff. Even though open hours, public hours were open, they had music on in the background. And I didn't know how my, my students were going to handle having a bit of a noisier environment than they were used to in doing the work with the animals, with the cats. And yet they did fine. So know that, guys, you can still work through noise. Because think about it. Out there in nature, there's noise. And yet the animals are telepathing with each other all the time you know, on top of the noise. So you can work from a slightly noisy environment, but when you can, if you can, getting yourself into a quieter place, if that helps you, is something you would want to move towards. Okay. All right. Any questions? Or is there anything that you feel for you is unanswered, unasked, or is a block for you in moving forward and doing this work? all the detail you gave. Yeah, and very detailed. <laughs> yes, all the different facets of working with a rescue animal. Some of them I had never even knew about or thought about. So I really, this has been extremely helpful, this class. Okay, okay, excellent, good. All right, well, let's see. I think we are set for today, unless anybody has anything else. Um, last thing that I, I don't think I said clearly enough is, remember, when, when talking with these animals and educating them and how they can be body language-wise in the presence of the public, um, some of the phrases I'll use with them, instead of don't do this, don't do that, the word don't or no for our animal friends sometimes does not always clearly seem to get across the threshold from us to them. So what you can do is show them visuals of what they're doing, the dog jumping up and down like a crazy man, and put an X on that, and then say, you know, you don't want to do this. That's where dope is okay, because you just clarified it with a nice old X, and you might want to show them, here's how you want to behave instead. Okay, so you can tell them, don't do this, but do, the, do, do this. Show them with four paws on the ground. So I use that phrase a lot. Keep your four paws on the ground. Keep your teeth in your mouth. Okay? Um, very important for a dog's cats and, well, even sometimes horses. <laughs> so, excellent. Well, we are all set for today, guys. Thank all right. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Neil. You're welcome. You're welcome. And happy communicating. You guys take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Stop this. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.